Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. brings us uh, to step four, uh, which is to learn uh, my suffering story. Um, That uh, at several points in this study, or maybe in your journey, uh, you've begun to question God, uh, doubt Him, be angry with Him, uh, wonder if what you think about Him even really matters. Uh, And we just get to that point where we're like, what? What is going on? Is there any meaning? And um, the you know, I've heard it said this way, uh, that in the animal kingdom, uh, we basically describe animals of two types. Uh, there's herbivores, uh, those that live by eating plants, uh, and carnivores, uh, those that live by eating meat. Uh, and people, this is less in the science realm, more in the philosophy realm, uh, but we have been described as verbivores. We live off of the meaning that we give things. People can endure amazing things if there is some form of purpose, if it matters, if it's worthwhile, if it's contributing to something. And and what we're going to do here uh, is not to say that we endure this if it's destructive and it doesn't need to be endured. Um, But we are saying that when we go through prolonged relational hardship, there are some destructive scripts that become the defining themes of our life. And those themes don't just corrupt that relationship. Those are the themes that begin to bleed into other relationships and activities and our emotions and lots of other areas. And we're going to say, before we can effectively relationally re-engage, we need some narrative redemption. We need to purify the story in which we are living so that we are thinking more clearly about life so that the actions that we take are part of a healthier story. And step four is where we look at the destructive stories. Uh, I love this quote in kind of a love-hate way that Melanie Beatty has here. Uh, She says, sometimes the problem isn't that we didn't learn a lesson. It's that we learned the wrong one. And we learned it really, really well. Um, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb, she says, or they say, if you are the victim of domestic violence, that's part of your story. And you should not deny it. That was step two. And you should not minimize it. That was step three. But if you let it become the reigning story, then your identity will be founded on a sense of disgrace. And in steps four, five, and six, that's what we're wanting to prevent. We don't want to deny. We don't want to minimize. We also don't want to give these events the central part of our life where they become the defining narrative in such a way that we live lives of disgrace. So we're going to look at 12 potential themes 
uh, and they're arranged around God themes and me themes and other people themes uh, and life in general themes. Uh, and so with God themes, um, here, uh, there's lots of questions that we're going to have about God. And I would encourage you to put them into words. Uh, it is not irreverent to tell God what we're really going through. There are lots of angry psalms. You know, one of the things that I say, slightly tongue-in-cheek, not totally, is I'm glad there's some heresy in the psalms. I mean, the psalmist will frequently get ticked off, raise his fist at God and go, why are you asleep at the wheel? Psalm 44. Why have you abandoned me? Now, we know God doesn't sleep, and God has promised He will never leave us or forsake us. But in the Psalms, in that unique spot of Scripture where God was giving us words that we could speak back to Him, He said, you know, you're going to go through parts of life where that's how it feels. And you're not right, but it's okay to be honest. Because I love you, and I want to hear that. And when we don't feel like we can be honest with God about the raw emotions that we have, then we're kind of confirming that He is the dangerous, scary person that we were afraid He might be. And so sometimes we think that God is not good. Um, and um, it, But if that were the case, we would have no expectation of good. It... If the world really was created by survival of the fittest, then we wouldn't be surprised when the stronger animal eats the weaker animal. Um, you know, the squirrel doesn't really look at the hawk with a sense of betrayal and go, how could you? Um, that, that sense that we have that this is wrong is part of uh, the maker of a God who is good's fingerprint on our lives. Maybe we think that God doesn't care. Maybe He's good, but He's like the CEO of Creation Incorporated LLC. Uh, and, you know, He just kind of, He's at that kind of distance and so much is going on. I mean, how do you expect Him to know everything? Uh, but that doesn't account for um, the incarnation, uh, for uh, the crucifixion and the type of personal investment that He's made. Maybe, maybe it's just that God is not able. And we get really frustrated uh, that God lets people make choices of influence. Especially when those choices of influence can be so devastating to us. Uh, and we get so overwhelmed by that that we forget that God also allows us to make choices of influence. Um, and these kind of themes, if you... Uh, if you read the Bible, they're, they're all throughout Scripture. I mean, how many times does Scripture say that God is good? Uh, and it's not as if God was bored and He didn't know what else to say and He was just going up there going, I'm good, I'm good, put that all over my book. Um, it's like, no, when people are living in a fallen and broken world, they're going to need to hear this a lot. So in the same way that we would say that the command to fear not is in Scripture because God knew the world was going to be a scary place, there are that many affirmations of His goodness and His power and His involvement because He knew that would become an area uh, that would become easy for us to misconstrue. It, 
uh, in thinking about God, uh, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb, says many victims uh, feel that God is punishing them, uh, and they look for causes in themselves. Uh, they may think, I haven't been a good wife or mother, so God is punishing me. Or, I did something wrong when I was a teenager, so God is punishing me. Or, I haven't been a good enough Christian, so God is punishing me. None of these are true. Because God is a God of grace. And all of that other mess is karma. And He's not a God of karma. So then there's me things. Uh, and and if, you know, if we get past blaming God, the next favorite person for us to distort is ourselves. And we'll beat ourselves up and throw us under the bus. And you go, why would we do that? I think there's a pretty clear reason. Control. If it's my fault, if there's something that I'm doing, I cannot do it. And what I want in this entire arena more than anything else is control. So maybe I think that I'm marred or crazy. Um, and it kind of feels logical. Because I go through the rest of my day and everything else seems to be working with everybody else. They don't seem like their lives are falling apart like mine. And so maybe I'm crazy. Uh, maybe it's my fault and I deserve this. Um, there's lots of blame shifting statements that go on. And I want to take the log out of my eye before I take the speck out of anybody else's. And uh, if, you know, if, I can just, if I can just, with excellence, do this. Uh, I can remember working with uh, one wife in a verbally abusive relationship. Uh, and after a tirade, and she was trying to relate in a healthier way, uh, her husband looked at her. Uh, and just in a moment of condescension and disgust, he said, who do you think you are? And as she told the story, you could tell in her mind she was searching for an answer. I mean, she was like, I, I felt like I needed to say something like a princess or a PhD or uh, a model. I, I had to have an answer. I had to be somebody to be treated with decency. No. Decency is not an exorbitant request. Um, my identity is lost. You know, questions of purpose, calling, talent, passion... When you're in a relationship that's marked by the kind of chaos of uh, addiction or abuse, those are luxuries that you just don't get to really engage those questions. There's too much else uh, that demands your attention. Leslie Vernick, for many of us, uh, these kinds of lies feel truer than the truth does. It's easier to believe uh, that God hates us or is angry with us than it is to believe that we are His beloved children. And we are precious to Him. We meditate again and again on some hurtful words. Uh, someone has said. Yet another person uh, pays us a compliment and we dismiss it. Uh, we don't trust it. Even if that person is genuine. And so then we get to the, um, the uh, themes for other people. And here a big part of what we're trying to figure out. What's the difference between safe pain and unsafe pain? That's a huge life skill. Uh, and, and so maybe we begin to think uh, all relationships are dangerous. I mean, everybody's a sinner, right? None of us are perfect. That means none of us are safe. All relationships are dangerous. That's what should make me put up these walls. Um, fake walls, safe walls, whatever they may be. 
Uh, if I were good enough, they wouldn't. Again, f- uh, foot and friends, uh, family members, not only parents, uh, often uh, come to us believing they can only be as happy as their unhappiest loved one. And they think, I'm an emotional hostage. Wherever that degree of displeasure is in this person's life, if I love them, I can't get above that. If my life seems to have greater enjoyment or happiness than they are, then I'm being mean and selfish. And that's the way I make sense of this. Or maybe we give in to intensified stereotypes. Um, Usually, oftentimes, these kind of relationships, be it a marriage or a dating relationship... Uh, they're cross-gendered. And so, you know, oftentimes the, the clearest difference is what we attribute it to. And so, if I'm a man and she's a woman and something this crazy is going on, it must be because she's a woman. And we take the most noticeable difference and we say that's the explanation and we form it into an intensified stereotype. Uh, And then there's life themes um, because we're searching for answers and there doesn't seem to be any satisfying answers. Um, Maybe we just kind of get hopeless and think, life's not fair. Uh, And there is a sense in which in a broken world where redemption's not going to be fully realized, uh, that there is a a degree of lack of fairness. Uh, But we can't take that to mean powerlessness. Yet, uh, life is meaningless. Because uh, we, we want better for our loved one. We don't want their life to fall apart like it is. Um, and we might say it this way. There is as much meaning in their life as their choices allow. And there's as much meaning in our life as our choices allow. But when their life is surrendered to chaos, abuse, addiction, or something comparable, and, and we are surrendering our life to theirs, then it's like we're listening to a radio that's between stations and you've got that white noise, and we're trying to find the rhythm in it. And there's no rhythm in the shh. And our life is going to be as meaningful as our choices, and that's part of what this seminar is about. Uh, evil wins. Again, there's a part where we say evil is winning. Um, that Scripture speaks to the darkness that exists. Um, but we also recognize that ultimately evil does not win. And so we can be honest about the darkness of a given point in time uh, without being hopeless. Again, I'm not trying to say these are the only 12. What I want to do with these is create a pattern. Uh, A pattern where you uh, articulate the destructive message. What is the way that you make sense of your experience that if that became a dominant theme of your life, it would be corrosive to other relationships, it would be corrosive to your own emotions, your sense of identity, uh, it would be corrosive to your other aspirations that you have. Articulate those themes. This is the kind of thing where I'm, I frequently say, I've never lost an argument in my own head. In my own head, I always win. When the words come out of my mouth, it's never as convincing as it is in my own head. 
when I take these kinds of themes that echo in my head and bounce around like a ping pong ball and get more painful every time they bounce, and I articulate them, there's something about when I put them into words with another person who cares that they're not as convincing as they were when they were in my head. Uh, so articulate, acknowledge the pain, uh, counter them with Scripture, uh, begin to replace them with the Gospel. That's what we'll come to uh, in chapter 6. I give you a bit of a chart there uh, where you can begin to put these things uh, into some order and see the connection. They won't always connect as neatly as we would like. Uh, but, you know, we go, okay, we had this argument about the details of the situation and they were trying to say that it wasn't because they were drunk and this kind of thing. And then after that, I was really second-guessing myself a whole lot. Uh, and the destructive script is I was thinking, this is all my fault. Um, and, and then from that, I start apologizing for everything in my life. And, and when you can begin to see the connection to what's going on there, you're like, oh, that's a pattern. That's something that I am participating in in a way that I don't have to participate in that in the same way that I have been.